All right, uh, you ready? If you got your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and then Luke chapter 1. We will continue our study uh, leading up to the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus. And so um, just before we get started, I want you to know, uh, man, I am tired today. So last, uh, last Sunday, I had a really cool experience we'll get to tell you about. I had a really cool experience last Sunday after the three services preaching. I get tired, you know, and then Sunday night, we had a really cool experience that took place, but then I hopped in the car uh, and got to speak to a group of pastors down in Hampton, Virginia, but drove on Monday, four hours down to Hampton, preached for 30 minutes, then drove back uh, to D.C., where I hopped on a plane the next morning to fly to Texas, uh, spent uh, time uh, with a group of church planters. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit as well, but uh, spent time with church planters and revitalizers uh, in, uh, in Texas, and then uh, drove to see my grandmother. The, the meeting was in Dallas, drove six hours over to Lubbock, Texas to see my 93-year-old grandmother, uh, spent some time with her, drove back four hours to Nakona, Texas uh, to stop off to see my in-laws. Uh, my father-in-law has been navigating congestive heart failure, need to see just kind of how bad it was. Tales of his demise were greatly exaggerated. And so uh, he's doing great, which is a great thing to be able to report. And then made the two-hour drive back into Dallas from there, hopped on a plane. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, I got there just, I mean, I, the, the uh, boarding started at 6.06, and I got there at 6.08, all right? You ever had that happen before? I mean, it is a miracle that I'm standing here before you today, and so don't cut it that close, all right? That's not a good idea, but I got back in at midnight on Friday, slept a good portion of the day yesterday, and now I'm here with you today, and so every one of us is carrying something with us that we come in today with. Um, I have no doubt if you are here, or if you're watching with us online, the Lord's brought you here, there is something that he has that he wants to say to you. And so I'm very excited to see what the Lord has to say to us today. Hebrews chapter 10, Luke chapter 1. Got a funny question as we get started. Have you ever tried to get out of going to a party before? All right. You ever tried to get out of going to a party before? Some of you are like, seriously, you wouldn't want to come to my party? We got a lot going on. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got a party that you don't want to go to or something that uh, you feel like the world is kind of crashing in on you. Your work is work stuff is piling up. Family stuff's piling up. Health stuff piling up up, money stuff piling up, and then you just go, eh, if there's a way I could get out of this thing. I'm going to be honest with you, peel back the curtain for ministers for just a minute. For me, the party that I consistently have this desire to try to get out of is the rehearsal dinner, all right? Now, please, don't be offended. Don't be offended. You got to know, preaching three times on Sunday morning, we typically have a Sunday night activity that we do also. I give the staff a flex day on Monday, uh, but for me, I come in, somebody's got to write the staff agenda for staff meeting on Tuesday, and so I come in, I write a huge portion of my sermon on Mondays, and then I do that. So Monday's a work day for me, and that means my days off are Friday afternoon and then I take my Sabbath on Saturday. Will that be the time people want to do weddings, right? It's Friday night for the rehearsal dinner, and then also uh, the Sabbath on Saturday. And I don't mind coming and being there for the, uh, for the special day, but that Friday night sometimes can be tough because um, it's typically a hostile room. And uh, here's the reason why. I, I am your pastor, right? Uh, but your family has no clue who I am, and your extended family in a lot of cases, some are believers, some are not. And uh, when you get together, it can be a bit of a hostile room. And for those of you who've taken part in weddings before, every now and again, you get a bridezilla or a groomzilla, you know what I mean? And it makes it a little bit of a hostile environment when you're putting the wedding together. And uh, again, you tie into that no day off that specific week. It just, it just can be a little bit heavy. But here's what I've noticed. When I take the time 
when I do it, the Lord always blesses in dramatic fashion. It's a beautiful thing when you get together. In fact, the rehearsal dinner specifically, for some of those relatives that are not believers, that is the one time that they are forced to be around a pastor uh, in their entire stretch. And so because of that, it's a wonderful evangelistic opportunity. You get to be there watching someone become husband and wife and truly the Lord knit a family together. It's a beautiful experience, but I got to get through the door, right? I got to get out the door and I got to get through the door in order to be able to be part of that process. For some of you, you had this before. God's called you to go on a mission trip, but you got to take time off from work, right? You got to take a little bit of that precious vacation time that already you're having to spend on family because a lot of you live so far away or your families live so far away. Taking that precious vacation time, you know you should do it. The Lord's calling you to do it, but it's tough sometimes to get out the door. It's tough sometimes to move in that direction. I remember I, as a pastor, drug my feet on planning an overseas mission trip. I was nervous about all the different details that it would take. And I don't know about you, I was worried, what if I mess this up and someone gets left overseas? I mean, that was like a a genuine fear of mine in the beginning. The Holy Spirit provided an opportunity for us to connect in Eastern Europe and Slovakia. I was able to not only lead trips, but basically a decade's worth of trips over there to Eastern Europe. And it blessed me so greatly to get to be a part of that. And then for some of you, let's just be honest. It's tough to get out of bed and come to church, right? Now, it's interesting. Sometimes we've got a block because of someone else and a block that they've put in front of us. And sometimes, sometimes the block is your own head. It's your own mind. And I'm telling you, there are some of you here this morning and the fight that you had in your own head of how can I get out of going to church today, right? How can I get out of walking through the doors, waiting outside in the cold? I'm going to have to wait outside before the service. The pastor always preaches way too long. His sermons are weird. He's weird, right? I just don't know if I can make this happen. I'm telling you, you got all these different reasons to not show up and to not gather. But when you press through, when you show up anyway, there is a blessing that comes with that that is truly beautiful. I'm not preaching that as one who doesn't know. So my dad pastored a church when I was growing up that grew from 150 people when he first started to five and a half, six years later, there were 4,500 members at this church in Lubbock, Texas. It was miraculous what we got to experience. But for those five and a half, six years, I had an identity. I was the preacher's kid. And not just any preacher's kid, I was the preacher's kid where the Lord had blessed in that community. And then dad went into evangelism, took a different job, and that meant that he was preaching in a different church every single week, traveling the countryside. But I was out of a job. I was about 12, 13 years old when my dad went into evangelism. I'd always had pastor's kid as my identity. And then all of a sudden they brought in a new pastor. And when they brought in the new pastor, there was a really weird thing that happened. I was 12, 13 years old, but all of a sudden, members of the church, because the new pastor came in and changed things, all of a sudden, people in the church started coming up to me wanting a statement on how my family felt about church issues, and all of a sudden, I just felt so bombarded, and here's what happened. I didn't want to go to church anymore. It got to the point where I had to have a meeting with the new pastor and with the, uh, and with the youth minister. And they truly just, I mean, were peppering me with questions about how my family felt about certain things. My dad showed up for that meeting and said, how about you leave the kid the heck alone? And then all of a sudden, he had me leave the room and he gave those two men a piece of his mind by themselves. I love my dad and I appreciate that. I said to him afterwards, I don't want to go back to church. He said, son, your relationship with God is deeper than the hurt you've experienced here. He said, maybe you should start praying about maybe going to a different place. But he said, going to church, your relationship with God 
when we surround ourselves with godly people, good things happen. So praise God. I had a friend who invited me to a church across town in Lubbock, and uh, it ended up becoming my home church. It was so hard to go through the doors that first time. I didn't have the identity that I had always had. But all of a sudden, they became very dear friends. And when we built the building here, did you know that that church that I went to when I was in high school sent us a $50,000 check to help with the building here? Not only that, but the other church in Lubbock that my dad had pastored, they sent us about $75,000 over the years. And the first mission trip, they were the team that was with us on Waterfront Church's very first Sunday. Now listen, the Lord is up to something. And I don't know what church hurt, what spiritual hurt you may be carrying today, but it is good that we are together. Amen. It is good that we are in the Lord's house. So I want to read you a passage of scripture. You ready? Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25. And here's what it says. This is a great verse and has taken really new life during the pandemic as well. Here's what it says. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised us is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, verse 25 is where the power is. Look at this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Look at this. All the more as you see the day approaching. Underline all the more as you see the day approaching. This is not just any day. That big capital D is the day when Christ returns. And here's what we find in this passage. When we gather together, there is a blessing that falls on us. And not just that, not just us, but also on everyone else that we are gathering with. And I love that it says that when we, uh, we, uh, we, we need to not give up giving together, as some are in the habit of doing, but I encourage that we do this all the more, even as the days get more complicated, even as the days are difficult and we have more responsibility, when we have reasons to try to get out of being in the place where God is and being in a place where godly people are. When those things happen, we need it all the more. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Not all mandatory things deserve a high priority, and not all optional things deserve a low priority. Let me say that again. Not all mandatory things deserve a high priority, and not all optional things deserve a low priority. You got lots of reasons to not be here today. Work stuff, health stuff, family stuff, fear of crowds during the stretch of COVID. You got all sorts of reasons not to be here. And yet, when we gather, the writer in Hebrews says, we edify one another and we give glory to God together. There's something special about the gathering, about being together in Jesus' name. It begs our big million dollar question we're going to go through today. So what happens when we make time for godly gatherings? What happens when we make time for godly gatherings? Now, there's some of you out there that are going, yep, it's the preacher's yearly sermon on why we should all go to church, all right? A godly gathering is gathering together in worship together weekly like we do on Sunday. But a godly gathering is also a small group. And listen, a godly gathering is also driving 12 hours out of your way to see your grandmother who's 93 years old in Lubbock, Texas, who loves the Lord because you had a flight ticket to Dallas. Just for the record, I could have spent that time doing a whole lot of other things, namely sleeping, but guess what? Instead, I had the opportunity, it stirred in my spirit, this was something that I not just could do, but that I needed to do, and I left so richly blessed. My grandmother's one of the godliest people I've ever known. She's prayed for our church and prayed for me for years since before there even was a waterfront church. 
She prayed for me before I was Zach Randall's, before I was even born, to take the time to get to spend with her and encourage her as she's in a stretch where she doesn't have a whole lot of freedom and mobility. To get to bless her blessed me greatly as well. For some of you, the Holy Spirit's going to stir in you today, and you need to make time for godly gatherings. And really, a lot of it is just getting your foot out the door. It's just making the effort to leave the house and be a part of what God has called you to do. I want to illustrate that for you today through Mary and her relationship with Elizabeth. Now flip over. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 39. And we're going to look at uh, the story of Mary and Elizabeth right after Mary has visited with the angel that she will give birth to Jesus. Look at verse 39. At that time, circle, highlight, and underline, at that time. At that time refers specifically to what we studied last week, that the angel has told Mary, you have found favor with God and you are going to bear the Son of God. You are going to bear the Messiah at that time. And then at the end of that, by the way, the angel says in verse 36, even your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. So all of a sudden, that's the at that time that we get to verse 36. At that time, Mary got ready and what? Hurried, underline and highlight, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Underline and highlight that word greeted that you have there as well. The picture is, after the angel says to Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. Six months is really important because remember, Elizabeth has been in seclusion, but at six months, she will have a baby bump. This is the ancient world where there's not, not a lot of obesity at this time. And so guess what? It would have been very evident and very visible that Elizabeth was with child. So here's what happens. It doesn't say Mary goes, oh, I'll file that away and think about it later. The heaviness of her bearing the Son of God is so heavy upon her shoulders, she looks and says, you've just told me, angel, that I can gain affirmation if I go and see Elizabeth. You've told me, not just that she was pregnant, but that she's in her sixth month, that I will be able to see it with my own eyes. So what does she do? As soon as the angel finishes speaking, she goes, I got to get to Elizabeth. She's the one person that can understand what I'm about to go through. She runs in, hurries through the doors, and what happens? There is Elizabeth, and she greets her. The picture there is that she sees the miracle with her own eyes. If you're taking notes, what happens when we make time for godly gatherings? Number one, we share in others' blessings. We share in others' blessings. You got to remember that God is not just at work in your life. He's at work in all of our lives. And so when we take time to ask questions and really hear someone's story, you begin to see the fingerprints of God all around you. It's one of the reasons why if you find out there's a fellow believer at work, take them to lunch and just say this, man, tell me your story. Woman, tell me your story. I want to know how you got here and make sure you point out the way the Lord has led you specifically. When you get to hear those godly stories, it invigorates your faith. And we're going to find later on in this passage, all of a sudden words they use, concepts they pitch, places they've been, begin to weave our stories together where we see the fingerprints of God in their life also imprinted on our lives as well. If I'm really being honest, preaching three services is rough. Y'all just need to know that. And I've done it now for years, okay? Preaching three services on Sunday morning, trying to bring the energy each time. I don't do it for you. I do it for the Lord. You need to know that. 
okay? I do it for the Lord, but I get tired. I get tired. And if we've got something else on Sunday nights, I get real tired. I mean, to the point where sometimes my legs leave and shake when I get home. I just get so tired from things. Now, listen, we had something offered. Wonderful, sweet couple in our church, Solomon and Danusha. Solomon grew up in India, and Danusha grew up in Sri Lanka. They usually sit right there where you guys are, Sam and Abby, uh, in the third service. Solomon Danusha, um, one's 38, the other's 40. And they, uh, Danusha grew up in Sri Lanka, uh, uh, Solomon in India. But they met leading worship at David's tent up here on the Capitol Lawn. Both ministers, both pastors, incredibly godly. And uh, about a year ago, they started sitting right there together and would cry. I remember they would cry during a bunch of the messages and a bunch of during worship, just very, very moved, felt a connected spirit to them. Well, they fell in love. Danusha, her testimony, uh, she had had an arranged marriage for her in Sri Lanka, and the Christian church there actually helped her to break free to get here to the United States, never thought she would be able uh, to marry a man of God, and then she met Solomon. Solomon, 40, and had never been on a date before in his entire life. And the two of them met. It's the cutest story ever. The two of them met where they were leading worship. He told the story about how he'd been raised as a young boy in India to not look women in the eye. That was part of the training. And so he said, uh, all of a sudden one day, he said, there is this godly woman leading worship there at David's tent. And he said, I saw her eyes and I immediately fell in love. And he tells again this just beautiful story. All that's to say, all that's to say, they ask if last Sunday night, if we would go and be a part of their engagement party. But they said, we'd like for you to invite the church staff because we are going to invite all of our uh, Indian American, Pakistani American, and Sri Lankan American families to come and to be part of this engagement party. And can I tell you what the first gut instinct for me was? I'm tired. That's it. And guys, I'm telling you, I love the Lord and I love ministry. But I'm telling you, I'm pretty wiped on Sunday. And they said, we'd like for you to preach at the engagement party. And we'd like you to see if maybe Denver could lead a song or two. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm tired. The staff's going to be tired. But I could feel in my spirit this was something we were supposed to do. So we gathered and they invited all of their friends. About half the room were not believers. And they invited half the, they invited the, all of their friends to be there for this party. And then Danusha said, after we, after we finish the engagement portion, we'll stand up and we want to invite them to the church. I want to show you a video. I pulled out my cell phone in the middle of it when Denver was playing. And I want you to know, again, half this room were not believers. Uh, if you guys don't mind, show the video, please. It was just crazy. There was this holy moment that took place. And Danusha stands up afterwards, shares that she's found a home in this community, that she and Solomon have plugged into the church as missionaries. It was just undeniable that the Holy Spirit was at work. Well, after it's over, 
I get in the car and I'm like, Lord, what do I do with this? What does this even mean? I'd felt so blessed when I had been so tired going into it. And I get on the phone and I called each one of the staff individually. I was like, what does it mean? What do you think? Did you feel the same way? Each one said, we felt the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what happened. We just know that something happened. And I'm on the phone with Lauren Paget there at the end. Lauren's our children's minister and, and then also our, our special needs minister. And I said to Lauren, I said, Lauren, I just don't know what we're supposed to do with this next. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of my conversation with Lauren, I feel this fist in my gut, the fist of conviction, and all of a sudden it drops into my head, call Emily Long. You may not know Emily Long. She and her husband, Jacob, just started coming to the church not too long ago. And then all of a sudden, I just feel the spirit as clear as they say, call Emily Long. So much that I stop Lauren and I go, do you know if Emily Long has any connection to India? And she goes, oh, man, I don't know. They, they, they've not been at the church too long. I said, Dove, I just ought to check. And so I said, I got to call them right now. I hang up the phone. I dial her husband, Jake. And I said, Jake, you, you guys are free by any chance? And he goes, this is so weird. He said, we missed church this morning. He said, we were actually watching your sermon right now uh, while you called us. I said, no way. I tell him, sorry, I said, put Emily on speakerphone. I said, here's the deal. This just happened tonight. Do you have any connection to India? I tell the whole story. Emily starts to cackle on the other end of the phone. And I said, what are you cackling about? And Emily goes, you don't know my testimony. She said, my sister served as a journeyman overseas in India. And she said, my family went over there for a month to be with her and to serve the Lord on mission. She said, while we were there, she said, on the streets of Bangalore, she said, that's where the Spirit called me to ministry. I said, you are kidding me. She goes, there's no stinking way you could have known. So here's the deal. I don't know what we're going to do with that yet. I spent a week in Texas. And so here's the deal. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to do. But it was so weird. Any of you have done ministry with Middle Eastern countries before? These supernatural occurrences, these dreams that are had, these spirit-speaking moments are almost a requirement in order to be able to move forward in something that truly the Lord is bringing about. And so I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I know. I needed to not lay down on the couch, and I needed to go to the engagement party. I needed to show up. I needed to work through my stuff so that I could be there for what the Spirit was doing. Now, that doesn't mean you need to run yourself into the ground. But if the Spirit says go, we got to go. Tired or not, fearful or not, we've got to make the move. If you want to take notes, write this down. To see and hear how God has worked in someone else's life opens our minds to what God could do in our lives. Let me say that again. To see and to hear how God has worked in someone else's life opens our minds to what God could do in our lives. Meeting Solomon and Danusha has changed my life forever. That night, I don't know what the Lord is up to. I just know it's going to be very, very special. It begs the question, when's the last time you asked to hear a godly person's story? When's the last time you asked to hear a godly person's story? For some of you, you're running your life so tight. You're running your schedule so close that you don't really have the margin for anyone to give you other than what you're expecting from them. Don't miss this. Set up a lunch and then plan on them doing the talking. And in fact, one of the things I'll say sometimes, if I know that I need a word from the Lord from them, I'll say to them, I want to hear your story and I want this to be a 90-10 conversation. I want you to talk 90% of the time, and I want me to talk 10% of the time. And you let them know up front. Otherwise, you look like a jerk, all right? 
But if you let a godly person know up front, I need a word from the Lord and I need to hear it from you. Please, please tell me your story. I need some encouragement. I feel like I'm dry. I feel depleted. Tell me your story and maybe I can see the fingerprints of God. Now, just for the record, three big ways that we hear from the Lord. We hear from God, number one, from his word. There's never anything an audible voice from heaven would ask you to do that would not align fully with the holy word of God that's been given to us. Second is through the voice of the Holy Spirit, the way he speaks to our gut, the same way he said to me, call Emily Long that day in the car. And then he speaks to us through godly others, through these interactions and these gatherings where they say things to us that could not have come from them. Like what we're about to read. Are you ready? Now look at Luke chapter 1 and let's look at verses 41 and 42. So it says, Mary hurries to a town in the hill country, Judea. She enters Zechariah's home, Zachariah's home. She greets Elizabeth. She sees the baby bump. And now watch this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, I love that it says in a loud voice, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Stop right there for just a minute. All of a sudden, remember, all it says is Mary has hurried in, and she greets Elizabeth. She's not told of the story. And what happens? The Holy Spirit empowers the moment. And Elizabeth goes, whoa, you're with child too. And it's going to be the Messiah. I've been worshiping in my own miracle that I've received. But whoa, something big is happening with you as well. Without knowing any of the story, Elizabeth stands up and proclaims what the Spirit has told to you is about to come about. Now listen to me. Mary needed that desperately. To see Elizabeth's miracle and for all of a sudden for her to be affirmed by Elizabeth before she ever tells anyone the story. Mary needed that. The courage she would need to follow through is unbelievable. Now if you're taking notes, what happens when we make time for godly gatherings? Number one, we share in others' blessings. And number two, we often receive a word from the Lord. We often receive a word from the Lord. In this circumstance, Elizabeth speaks loudly and proudly, blessed are you. I know this seems like a heavy burden, but it is the blessing of blessings that will carry on into eternity. And not just are you blessed, but blessed is the child you will bear. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Isolation numbs conviction while gathering with the godly amplifies it. Isolation numbs conviction while gathering with the godly amplifies it. We avoid those godly gatherings because of something we feel like is more important, something we feel like is more pressing, something we feel like is mandatory versus optional. And here's what happens. We get into our own head, we get into our own world, and then all of a sudden we miss out on what it is that God has for us because we isolate and we trap ourselves in that isolation. Best example I can give to you, by the way, of that is the difference between Peter and Judas. In John chapter 21, you get this beautiful story of Peter's life where Peter has made a mistake. 
Peter has denied Jesus three times, very publicly. He'd been shamed numerous times. And don't forget, he tries to cut a dude's ear off to protect Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, Peter has made a tidal wave of mistakes. And then when John's at the foot of the cross, when the women who followed Jesus were at the foot of the cross, he's out crying in a ditch somewhere. He feels like he has so betrayed the calling that he can never be used again. And listen, don't forget, Peter needs to repent and be reinstated. There is a process that he needs to walk through in order to be whole again. Now save your spot in Luke 1, but flip to John 21. There is one characteristic that is so key about Peter's reinstatement. Notice what happens here. John 21, and let's read verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. It says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples again by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened this way. It says, Simon Peter... Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Now look at this. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Now look at what they say. But they said what? We'll go with you. Underline and highlight, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat at night, but they caught nothing. What do you do when you want to fish? What are you basically saying to everybody else around you? I want to be alone. I want to be by myself. And in Peter's case, he's been fishing for a living. And he looks at the other disciples and he goes, guys, there's no way you could understand the shame that I've caused my Lord and Savior. There's no way you could understand how I feel having come up so short with, with vision of this rock that they would, them calling me not just Simon anymore, but rock. And on this rock, he would build his church. I feel like I have totally betrayed the calling that I had. So what does Peter do? He tries to isolate. I'm going fishing. I'm going by myself. You guys go out, carry the mission of Jesus. I've got to be alone. But notice who's named on that boat. Thomas is named. In the passage just previous to this one, Thomas is reinstated by Jesus. Nathaniel. Nathaniel is the one in John chapter 1 that also gets shamed by Jesus for disbelief. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're the ones that ask one to sit at the right hand of Jesus and one at the left so that they can have power over the other disciples. Listen to me. This boat trip is the loser cruiser. You know what I mean? <laughs> this boat trip, every person named on that boat had a very public shaming that they received and a reinstatement that had to happen afterwards. Listen to me, don't miss this. But Peter, when he says, I got to isolate, I got to get alone. You guys do your thing. I'll fund your ministry from here. I got to isolate. They look at him and they go, uh-uh, bro, we're going with you. We're going to surround you. That's what godly friends do. You want to know the converse? It's Judas. Judas also, that same night that Peter denies, Judas has great regret. All of a sudden when Jesus is taken in and arrested, he's immediately remorseful. I think in some ways Judas wanted to exert his authority over Jesus, bring him under control but he, I don't truly believe he wanted him to be crucified. And what happens? He kisses him on the cheek. Jesus is led away. And do you remember? Judas immediately goes into the temple and goes, "What? I don't want this money anymore. It's blood money. Takes the 30 pieces of silver, throws it at them. And the temple guards say, hey, it's all yours, buddy. This blood is on your hands. That money can't even be in the temple at this point. And what does Judas do? He gets in his head. I'm so remorseful for the things I've done. I've made these mistakes. I don't believe God could ever use me again. But because he doesn't surround himself with other godly people, guess what? In isolation, the enemy's whisper of, then why don't you just end it all? All of a sudden starts to make sense. Listen to me. Don't miss this. 
you realize Judas could have repented. Have you thought about that? As powerful as Peter's testimony, I denied him three times and yet he forgave me. Judas's testimony could have been, I truly betrayed him with a kiss into the hands of the religious leaders to be crucified and still he forgave me. That could have been the testimony of testimonies in the early church. But he isolated. He got alone. And then all of a sudden he begins to think. When we isolate, we get this macro trajectory in our head where we go, it's headed down. It's headed down. That's the only direction it'll ever go. Just as when we think sometimes that things will always be good, when things get bad, we get to macro thinking it'll always be bad and we miss the micro of the moment and all of a sudden we justify the unthinkable. Judas could have repented, but he wasn't surrounded by anyone godly to remind him who he was. It begs the question, do you need to hear from God? Find some godly people. Do you need to hear from God? Find some godly people. Remember, he speaks to us through his word, through the voice of the Holy Spirit. And in this circumstance with Mary, Elizabeth reaffirms without fully understanding what she's reaffirming, that what Mary has been told is the truth. Now, flip back over to Luke chapter 1. Flip back over to Luke chapter 1. Just a little commercial here. Some of you need to join a small group. That week... That once a week meeting with these people in a setting where you get to talk just a little bit, I'm telling you, there will be reaffirmation in your spiritual life like you never knew. Because of the way that we preach here, I start at the top of a passage and work my way down. I don't write my sermons six months in advance, but I pick the passages six months in advance. And because of that, when we go through, it's real easy for me when something really crazy is going on in our culture around us because we don't waver from the passage that God has given us. And then you watch it, the way he weaves it together. Again, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. You watch it, something will speak to your heart that was stirred in mind six months earlier through the passage that the Lord had us to look at. I want to encourage you, receive a word from the Lord by making time for a small group and make time to come to church on Sunday. Let's keep moving. Last little set of verses and we'll close. Luke chapter one, let's read verses 43 through 45. So again, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you bear. Look at verse 43. But why am I so what? Favored. Circle, underline, and highlight that. Do you remember when we studied Mary's story? The word favored was used twice by the angel. And in fact, after this part in scripture, favored is rarely used. But all of a sudden in Luke chapter one, three times, twice by the angel, and now all of a sudden by Elizabeth before she's ever even heard what the angel has said. To use that word must have stirred Mary so powerfully. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the Lord, as soon as the, uh, the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Remember, Elizabeth doesn't even know what it is that's been said to her at this point. But she goes, Mary, you came to me for encouragement. She says, oh, you have blessed me no end just by walking through the door. Why am I so favored? You came looking for help from me, but the Lord has blessed me greatly as well. If you're taking notes, our last point today, what happens when we make time for godly gatherings? Number one, we share another's blessings. Number two, we often receive a word from the Lord. And number three, everyone leaves encouraged. Everyone leaves encouraged. There are some of you, if you're really being honest, there are some of you 
that the reason you don't schedule the godly gatherings, look up here just for a minute, is because you're not depleted and you sit there and you go, when I get low, I'll schedule that meeting. You forget the Lord blesses us. Why? That we might be a blessing to others. There are some of you in here today and you're not depleted. And so you don't need to wait to schedule those meetings until you're so low that it has to be all about you. Maybe just maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring in you today that there is someone you are to go to that you might bless them in the process by them hearing your story of what God has done or you asking them to share their burden so that then you can help them through this process. If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember that you are not the only one who benefits from a godly gathering. Remember that you are not the only one who benefits from a godly gathering. To decide that you don't need to go sometimes pulls back the blessing from what we could bring being part of the fellowship with others as well. I got to go this week to once a year gathering that we do. We started it um, six years ago um, after my father passed away. He had discipled so many, and he was like a one-stop shop for ministry problems. He was, he'd seen it all. Pastored churches of all different sizes, and he'd been 22 years in full-time evangelism where he traveled and been in a different city uh, every week for 22 years. And I'll never forget, when Dad passed away, there was a group of us in ministry. You could always just call Dad and get the answer to the problem. Well, we still had people to call, but it would take a group of about 15 or 20 for us to get to that same level of knowledge because, again, it just was very specific. So I met with a group of guys, and we said, you know what? We've all planted churches. What if we gathered together once a year, and instead of it being a deal where you try to pitch the church to raise money, instead, what if it was a think tank where we worked through issues, found out what was working, what wasn't working, and then we got to work through some issues together. And this is so crazy. In the process, it started with me and one other guy, Cody Whitfield. And then from there, we had 22 that were signed up this year to be part of this gathering. Almost all of those churches had started since the gathering started six years ago. Our church and Cody's were the two oldest. It was crazy. We got one young man, James Searcy, who's about to plant in the North Fort Worth area. James was my assistant for three years. But James also has a famous uh, uh, tie to Waterfront. James came with a group on the lowest Sunday in the history of the church. It was the snow year when we were still meeting over here at the Marriott. And we had 38 people in worship, but there was two and a half feet of snow on the ground. Do you remember that? Years ago, about five years ago, when there was all that snow on the ground, five and a half years ago. So James shows up, is at that church service, and watched it come together. And here's what was so powerful. James said, it was nuts looking around the room, two and a half feet of snow on the ground. And he said, we watched from the balcony as people trudged through two feet of snow to come into worship that Sunday morning. Some of you guys know Tim Morick. Tim and his wife, Anna, serve uh, with our deacon uh, and deaconess ministry. Just for the record, that was Tim Morick's very first Sunday at Waterfront was that little tiny Sunday. James then says, Zach drove me around looked me in the eye and said, you know, you could do this. And he said, that was where I got the encouragement 
to plant my church in Fort Worth. It was at that time, a guy named Chris Renfro, he's the one who's planted in the Atlanta area that we sent three missions to this summer. He raised his hand in the group and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, that's the way I planted my church too. He said, we brought a mission team up to Waterfront. They were the ones that built the chairs that y'all are sitting in and they painted the walls over in our other space over there on the other side for First Baptist Alpharetta, Georgia. He goes, I came as a youth minister. Zach drove me around town, cast vision for the neighborhood and then said, you know what? You could do this as well. And he said, now I planted a church in Alpharetta, Georgia. Another guy named Nolan Frederick, one of my best friends said, man, I thought I was the only one. Zach told me I could do that. Now I planted a church in Artesia, New Mexico. Keith Baldridge, same story in Broomfield, Colorado. And my friend Chad Glover was there with us this week. He's about to plant a church in Kansas City. Chad ran the very first youth ministry event in the history of Waterfront Church. Brought a group in from Shreveport, Louisiana to do that. Now listen to me. I told the guys, I said, you need to know I don't say that to everybody. I said, but when the spirit kicks, when the spirit stirs, if I have it to say, then I say it. Now listen to me. It blessed me like crazy to get to hear that. But they told me just being in the same room with you because you were part of our journey means the absolute world to us. There are some people in your life and the Lord is truly not calling you to necessarily go and lay a truth bomb on them for you to walk in and breathe the same air, to pat each other on the shoulder, to laugh with one another with stories of the past and remind them God was on his throne, God is on his throne, and God will be on his throne after our time on this earth is through. Is there someone that God is calling you to spend time with and to breathe life on them, to offer them again a moment of truth and remembrance that God is still on his throne? It begs our final question today. Should you make some plans? Should you make some plans? Is it time that you made plans to go to someone who's in a time of need and a time of difficulty? I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that the Holy Spirit has put somebody in your mind or in your heart to reach out to. Don't tune out. The most important part of the service are these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer.